0: Lift your eyes up, let your
2: wise rise up. See the signs of the times if it's time, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil. When the feast that feeds you, stars our father's children. When snuff, porn, and pedo forms begin to get top of the world. peace and welcome to New Abolitionist Radio a program that seeks to educate, inform, and agitate on the issue of 21st century slavery, hosted by social activist and spoken word poet Max Barthes, with New Abolitionist and Actionist Johanna Nelaya and Black Talk Media Project founder Scotty Reed. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking, along with projects and people who help combat it. May 20th, 2015, tonight on New Abolitionist Radio, we reported before the unbelievable truth that te- the teachers union were invested in private prisons upwards of a hundred million dollars, a blatant conflict of interest. Recently, the New York State United Teachers Representative Assembly, NYSUTRA, adopted a resolution to investigate current pension investments in prisons and to move immediately to divest from prisons. We have invited a couple of guests involved with this resolution to help explain what's going on, including Jamie Trinkle of Enlace and Cecilia Cortez of the United Federation of Teachers. Cecilia Cortez is a New York public school teacher and leader in the United Federations of Teachers, UFT, chapter. Jamie Trinkle is an organizer with Enlace and the Private Prison Divestment Campaign. The Private Prison Divestment Campaign works at the intersection of mass incarceration and immigration enforcement to break the lobbying power of the private prison industry. Jamie is based in Portland, Oregon. and Enlace's work is divided into two components, the Enlace Institute and one priority campaign. Since 2011, their priority campaign has been the National Private uh, Prison Divestment Campaign. We have a number of current and pressing stories we'll report on tonight, and as usual, we'll tie them all up in a nice Neat little bow In our Ferguson is America series Tonight we show you that Florida is Ferguson When W.E.B. Du Bois said The slave went free Stood a brief moment in the sun Then moved back into slavery He might have been talking about the sunshine state Florida Because they eat people there This week's Rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad is Philip Bivens, who in February 2011 became the second person in the United States to be exonerated posthumously, thanks to DNA testing. Our abolitionist in profile is Araminta Minty Ross, 1822 to March 10th, 1913. Expect all of that and more tonight on New Abolitionist Radio. You can find archive podcasts at newabolitionistradio.blogspot.com. We invite you to join the conversation by calling us at 1-530-881-1400. Access code is five four nine zero three two. Pound. Just press star six and one to queue up from the conference line. Once more, I'm Max Parthas. What's happening, brother Scotty? What's up, your honey? Peace, Peace, Max. Peace. You see, Peace. I didn't ask how you was doing, right? I just left it for you this week to say whatever you wanted to say. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: I'm certainly looking forward to uh, speaking to our guest. And, and like you said, you know, I, I'm not trying to toot our horns or anything like that. But, you know, three years ago when we launched this program, um, no one really was talking about the 13th Amendment. Of course, you know, like people like Lee Wood um uh Robert P. Robertson, you End know, they this. had yeah, they had been doing what they could to point out, you know, the fallacy of the thirteenth amendment abolishing uh, slavery, but we really didn't start seeing that kind of language exposing the lie of the 13th amendment enter into the mainstream until 2014. And I like to think that, that this program played a role in pushing that conversation into the mainstream. And like you, you rightly mentioned, you know, one of the things that, that, um, we have often brought up on this program is, you know, it, it's just wrong. It's just something inherently wrong for teachers to be invested in prison. I mean, because that's a clear incentive right there to keep the uh, school to prison pipeline going. If it, hey, if it means I'm gonna have a fat retirement, then I don't give a damn if you kids pass this test or not. You know? Cause, so yeah, man, I'm looking forward to uh talking to to uh these two women um about, you know, what I call bold action. Bold action and in, in uh calling on the unions and and the unions themselves, this particular union, making a decision to divest from uh twenty first century slavery and human trafficking. Indeed. Brother Yohan
3: Absolutely, man. I <clears throat> when I saw the email uh, come out from, uh, from inlay. Scotty has cc me in it. I was able to see the, the news, uh, news report. You know, they, they put out their press release or what have you talking about it. I mean, it definitely, um, especially in these kind of times with all the news is bad news all the time. You know, it can get, it can get pretty heavy. Um, to see something, you know, a glimmer, just to catch a flash, you know, out there in the darkness, like, okay. Okay, that's, that's, that's what we need to see. You know, I I knew we were going to be able to, to bring that up on the program, give the people something positive, um, and give people, um, hopefully a, a good framework, like a template that they, we can talk to our guests tonight about, you know, what they did, how they came to this, how they made it, you know, you know, just get all the information out to the people so we can start to replicate You know solutions and answers Because we know the money is the key to the whole thing When we get this divestment uh, Up and going and get more and more people To realize to take their money Out of the hands of these slavers That we're just that much closer
2: Indeed man you know there's so many government organizations and private organizations and corporations that are invested in these prison constructions and they don't even realize that. I mean, these people don't check right. their, their, uh, 401ks to see where people's putting their money on their behalf and in their name. And in truth, with, uh, places like, let's say Philadelphia, for instance, which recently closed 23 schools and turned around and invested $400 million into prisons, into building prisons, they're really, uh, moving against their own best interests because the what, what's happening is they're shutting the schools down and in effect uh, costing the jobs of educators but they're building prisons so what's the next step put educators in prisons <laughs> hmm. don't go to school to teach today we got a classroom waiting for you over at Rikers Island
3: man it's all connected whether people uh, can see it or not we're going to keep reporting on it until they are able to see the connections clearly uh, displayed in front of them, this, this whole thing, you know, it's all, it's not just one, like it's not a one-legged table, <laughs> you know, it's got it's got an established base, a good strong foundation in place, and that's how slavery has been able to continue on, is through a real live working system, so when we tell you these things week to week, you know, it's good to be able to put faces and uh, name names and bring in people that are part of, uh, of, of revealing, a, what is it like the Wizard of Oz, like pulling back the curtain and see what's really going on behind the scenes here. These people are getting this money. So when we get our money out of it, you know, we, we crippling the system. So
2: I'd like to it's echo good day. Scotty's sentiments as well. Cause you know, he's right. For the years and years I've been involved in this, very few people were discussing it back in 2008 during the election right. season. There was nobody really mentioning privatized prisons on, on a large-scale level or slavery being in effect today. Um, and then, you know, once we got together with this new abolitionist radio, and, you know, for me personally, after hearing Angela Davis make a call for a new abolitionist movement, when Scotty said, Max, do you want to do this with me, I thought it was just serendipity. You know, like, it was like fate, because <laughs> this is exactly yeah. what I wanted to do. And since that time we've seen a huge explosion of, of awareness just today on new abolitionist radio on facebook i posted at least eight or ten different mainstream articles that said in no uncertain terms that slavery ended i never ended so people are really starting to see something they weren't aware of before they just accepted it as normal And accepted the narrative that had been pushed into their brains from the first day they went to school to the last day that they leave. And then they go on and teach other people the same lie, that slavery ended in 1865. Mm -hmm. And that is an outright lie.
1: Right, right. And, And that's no dig against the people who didn't know because I didn't know. You know what I'm saying? Because like mm-hmm. Max just said, man, this, these lies have been programmed into us since birth, even before school, you know, through the movies, through, you know, different types of media, you know, praising Lincoln and, and all this and that and saying, you know, the great abolitionist or, or whatever, the great emancipator and all this and that. And so right. we were all programmed with the same Lies, And then, you know, each and every one of us who have come to the realization that it was a lie, you know, as we came into that awareness, we start sharing it with others. And now it's spreading like a virus, but a good virus.
2: Yes, yes. I think one time I compared it to that movie. Uh, Z Nation, or Z, uh, the the movie where, where they had about the zombies. I think it was called Z World War Z. World War Z. Yeah, that's World War Z with uh, yeah. Brad Pitt. Yeah, and that's how the truth spreads, man. Just a couple seconds. You know, you could just tell somebody like we do on a regular basis. Hey, the Thirteenth Amendment has an exception clause. Usually, that's enough to make things click right there, and then they huh. become abolitionists.
1: Mm-hmm. We hope that they become abolitionists and not investors in it. Because I'm sure some people be like listening to our reports. Damn, Geo Group making money. Let
2: me get some stock in that. Don't you do it. I'm telling (laughs) you, don't do it. (laughs) And, you me. know, I'd also <laughs> like to clarify, too, that this is more than a movement. Uh, just, you know, this is something with a purpose. It's something with a solution. It's something with historical relevance that has been going on now for 400 years with black people fighting side by side with freedom-loving lov- freedom people of other races for their freedom. This has been going on. This is not, you know, just some ideal or a slogan. It is a real thing that has a solution to the main problem we face as a nation and the biggest threat facing the world today, legalized slavery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we've got some interesting stories today. Uh we, we just have a potpourri of stuff we've been collecting over the weeks. Um, man, things are moving so fast that it's making me dizzy, Scotty and Johanna. I mean... On both sides of the spectrum, you have the enslavers are really being blatant about their things. Like we recently Mm -hmm. saw a slave auction in 2015. Right, right. We saw with our own eyes. They were auctioning off people guaranteeing they would be there as labor forces. Mm -hmm. So that's an extreme case. And then on the other hand, we're hearing people like Hillary Clinton and uh, the former Attorney General uh, Eric Holder and even the President of the United States literally Quote things that we have been sharing here from New Abolitionist Radio. So it gives it, 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 it just happening so fast, Scotty. Sometimes I'm like, mm-hmm. wow. <laughs> you hey, know? hey, hey, Max. I, I,
1: I, it had escaped my mind, but I was listening to Tanya Free and Friends talk show. Earlier today, you know, they on on the network at two o'clock p.m. and so, you know, um, they were were somehow reparations was the tap was the topic, and of course, I had to call in and say, you know, we don't need reparations for past slavery because it's ongoing, Mm -hmm. you know, and but it got me to thinking after I hung up with them and I'm like, you know, and and this is not to say that the work isn't needed and, and I'm against any kind of reparations work, but I would say, you know, we're putting the, what do they call it? The cart before the horse. Let's end slavery first. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. yeah definitely. Definitely. That ties into, uh, <clears throat> we're having this week actually here in, in my city, Kansas City, Missouri um, we're having the the conference this weekend uh, coming up, actually starting uh, tomorrow evening uh, here in Kansas City the Ida B. Wells Coalition to uh, end mass incarceration prison slavery
2: Uh, uh, I'll ask their name to police brutality now mass incarceration and police brutality
3: brutality. Uh, we're having a conference this weekend here in Kansas City, uh, May 23rd and 24th um uh Saturday, Sunday. So we'll actually be having to kick off to that tomorrow, Thursday night and uh, Friday evening, uh getting people lined up or what have you. And uh one of the topics of many that you know will be discussed over the weekend, of course, is reparations and black autonomy and uh discussing police violence. I mean talking about all of these things. And um I mean that's something Max you yourself and, and me have discussed in one of our conversations about you know how do how do we really get people on board with what's going on and like you just said not getting the the cart before the horse number one is in slavery right number one has to be yeah in slavery that's the first thing you do if you if you really want to know why we haven't even achieved reparations at this point because and i I know we got to move into our first uh, segment here but i just When I saw the Chicago situation, and and we know, like, we had uh, our guest, uh, a former guest, Paige May, from the We Charge Genocide group, um, young organizers in Chicago working, you know, to get, they're doing so much, there's so much energy coming out, and they're considering that a victory that they got this reparation settlement out of the Chicago police for torture. And it's like a, it's it's a it's a for me, it's kind of a hollow victory because you've got hundreds and hundreds of people that, you know, were affected by this thing. You got a five million dollar pool that they get to pick a little bit of money out of. And they still don't admit and they still don't, you know, cop to all the stuff that's going on. The slavery that has gone on in Chicago, Chicago, Cook County Jail is the largest jail, one of the largest jails in the nation. Mm hmm. So all of those people affected by that end the slavery. That's the victory. When you end the slavery, then we can claim the reparations. In slavery, free the slaves. Now we take the reparations claims to the to the courts. And just once, we, we've legitimized the war on drugs. We've legitimized the war on crime. We've legitimized the effects it's had on the community. That's when you can go get the reparations. Once we get the reparations, that's when we make the move towards black autonomy.
1: Amen. Yeah, just one quick, quick note on the, uh, torture, uh, payout, uh, by Chicago. And just to reiterate what you were saying, uh, now they got a new torture scandal on their hands. I just saw a video a rape- the other day where, you know, this, this yeah. young man was brought in and they trying to flip him into a drug war snitch and they anally raped him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and, and we heard other stories coming out of, um, Holman Square in Chicago. So here you paying off for some torture that occurred, what, 20, 30 years ago. And now you got a whole nother torture scandal on your hands. So that tells me that, you know, there, there's a problem going on. Uh, here, But I don't want to delay our, our guests I do believe we have our guests on the line Max. Indeed,
2: I, I believe we have uh, Jamie Trinkle of Enlace And Cecilia Cortez of the United Federation of Teachers Welcome to New Abolitionist Radio And thank you for being here today Thank you for having us Indeed, indeed yeah, Hello. You, I think you might have heard some of what we were conversing about In the opening of the program uh, Yes Okay, and great. Uh yeah, we were talking about we've been telling this story, particularly this story regarding the teachers' union for several years now. And uh we're very glad that something is occurring from it now. Could you you please uh tell us what you guys are doing specifically and what the problems you're facing are? So and introduce yourself if you need to uh, any further than what we've already done. All right. So, um
4: every year um the New York SUT, the United has a convention, and uh, this year we had a convention in Buffalo, where all the teachers of the state, New York State, they come and they meet and they vote on resolutions that guide the the body for the rest of the year. And this year, in the, res- in, the in the convention that we just had in Buffalo uh last month in April um, there was a resolution passed by the um, teachers from Hempstead. Uh there was uh the resolution in divestment and where the um, the 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 board of directors the NYSU the United uh asked urged the New York is Teacher Retirement Fund trustee to, um, uh, divest from the, the, the prison, from the prison complex. And when the resolution came to the floor, uh, the, the teacher's vote was unanimous passed. So that is a big step because, right. it's going to force the New York State teacher retirement funds to stop investing, investing on the prison divestment, which is what uh, we have been asking for for a while.
2: Wow. Um, how did you come to be aware of the investments that were going on to begin with? Uh, what, what brought that to the to the awareness of your organization?
4: Well, um there have there is a movement and especially with young people and in different colleges that I have become aware of, and with Elase who has organized uh that um that the different group, different young people coming together that uh working uh in divestment in different colleges.
2: Right, like Columbia so,
4: with them. Colombia, mm-hmm. um, Rutgers, Brown, NYU, many other universities are getting together to divest, and other organizations uh, have already also divest. Um, so um, when uh, people, uh, it, it's, it's a history. When uh, we work, I work in the uh, to um, to free. I help working. And um, uh, free. Remember when we were working to free Nelson Mandela and we working in divestment people say it's never going to work um, we keep working after working and there was divestment for South Africa so uh, when people say how can we change things we always think about to change things to hear people where hurt, and it's in the pocket mm-hmm. to stop the divestment it's not it's it, it, Stop investing money so that they they don't have the financial support. Exactly. Um, and then lastly, and lastly, um, started looking into
5: um, pensions to see where public money, even more public money, was going into private prisons. So private prisons get all their money from the state and from the federal government, you know, to incarcerate people, to put them in cages. Um, but that's not the only money they take, and that they rely on. They also Wind up getting money from our cities, our universities, our pension funds um, that are all directly invested into into a private prisons. So that all of our financial security is dependent on like the future incarceration of our fellow uh, community members, and it's all all folks of color, all black people, all um, immigrants, all brown folks, Latino folks, um, and so um, we were really disturbed by seeing that. Um, so many uh, teachers' funds um, in New York, in California, um, I believe in Florida, were all directly invested in the two largest private prison companies in the U.S. And so we started working um, to, to highlight that and develop a pension toolkit um, for prison divestment um, and put that out there and then started working with, um, with uh, teacher union members like Cecilia. To um, so you know put this on the map and to start moving for divestment from teachers' funds from private
1: prisons. Oh, greetings to. Uh, to, to, uh, uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
4: uh, For instance, we have information that indicates that right now the New York State Teachers Retirement Fund has uh, invested 7.1 million in the GOE group and Mm 10.7 million in the Correction Corporations of America. Wow. Now, a lot of money has to be divested. And this resolution that was passed is very important because that forced the board of going uh, to meet again in in July uh, to um, take a vote and say this is very important. Uh, so we need to... Um, we need to keep the pressure on this uh, director of uh, the board of directors of the uh, New York State Teachers Retirement Fund to mm-hmm. inform them that that money cannot continue to be invested in that in the prison.
1: Mm -hmm. i I mean uh, this is scotty and again i want to welcome you both thank you for joining us tonight to talk about this very important issue um a quick comment and and then a question um my quick comment would be you know as we talk a lot about well this week is the third annual week of action um national week of action against incarcerating youth and you know um for a long time now, people have been talking about the school to prison pipeline so when we when a person finds out that teacher unions are invested in the private prison. Uh, uh, industry, then that just really, really makes the school to prison pipeline more than just rhetoric. It, it, it makes it seem mm-hmm. real, you know, and, 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 my question would be now in the press release that we had shared with our listeners and our followers on, on social media. Um, it also talked about, you know, immigrant detentions, which is the other side, you know, of it. We talk a lot about the incarceration of poor and black people in Latino people through the drug war and whatnot, but, um, we're starting to see a whole lot of people enslaved through immigration. Now, I had an opportunity to, um, interview Angela Chan. Uh, Miss Chan is the policy director and a senior staff attorney at the Asian American Advancing Justice Asian Law Caucus. And she authored an article which was titled America Never Abolished Slavery. That was published on the Huffington Post, uh, uh, late last year. Now, she revealed something to me that I didn't even consider. Uh, she certainly agrees that the loophole of the 13th amendment, um, does allow for slavery as punishment for crime. So slavery, as her title of her article indicates, slavery was never abolished. But she revealed something to me that I didn't think about. She said to me that in, in cases of immigrant, Detentions, which she works on a lot was that you know putting them in prison and making them work and and paying them slave wages and 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 building all of these detention family you know detention centers where you're enslaving entire families she said that isn't even permissible under the 13th amendment because immigration violations are not criminal offenses those are civil offenses and so therefore these people haven't been charged or convicted of any crimes so therefore you're not even practicing constitutional slavery when you put them in all of these uh, detention facilities and, and profit from their labor any thoughts on that?
4: Well, that's that that is one of the re, that is not one of the ways that these corporation uh, these two the Cor- the corruption corporation America and the geo groups are making the profits because they get a profit of three billion dollars annually. Mm-hmm. They have one hundred and fifty thousand prison beds. They get uh, uh, on an average one hundred and twenty two dollars a day per prisoner. And that that's the way these companies, these two companies, make profits because they enter towns and they offer very uh, low uh, maintenance for the for the uh, in the jails. And they do it by because the occupancy of the jails is guaranteed by the state they operate in. It they gar- the jails are understaffing. The they have under-training the staff. They provide bad and little food, bad medical attention, or none to the in, to the so-called inmates, and they force the the detainees the to work for very very low wages. Sometimes paying them one dollar a day, or so. It's really uh, that's that's the reason how these uh, uh these uh, two large company uh, uh corporation had mani- uh they managed to make the money, and now mm-hmm. when they see that the the that now when they see that the government. Is cracking on immigration I and mean, they, they are creating this, uh, uh, putting all the immigrants who have committed no crime into these detention centers. These companies are getting hold of them to, to run those companies for very low money, but still abusing them, the, the, the immigrants and making a profit. Yeah. You and Scotty, oh,
6: um, yes, please Patty, go
4: you you know you you bring up
5: just how unjust immigrant detention is. Um, there's really no reason for it apart from profit and apart from uh, xenophobia. Um, and just draconian enforcement measures that, you know, people are making a buck off of. Um, and I think we're starting to see, like, a, a tide change. Um, this past week has been uh, pretty incredible with, like, the New York Times editorial board coming out calling for an end to detention um, for immigrants and the U.S. Um, bishops calling for an end or a significant reform to detention. Um, a representative here in the Northwest, Adam Smith, just dropped... Um, a bill that would call for a significant reform of immigrant detention, of um, uh, immigrant detention um, that would actually allow for the cancellation of contracts and the closing down of um, immigrant detention centers that don't live up to um, federal standards, which is what we need. We need to move away from um, the immigrant detention bed mandate, which mandates that 34,000 people be detained each night in the immigrant detention centers. Um And we also need to move away from the criminalization of immigrants um, there's twenty five thousand uh, criminally convicted immigrants held in federal prisons each year um, each night um, for uh you know often the crimes the new crimes of illegal entry and illegal reentry, so crossing the border once or crossing the border twice
1: but angela uh, miss Chan had said you know and again, I gave you her credentials. she said that that those aren't criminal offenses uh that those are civil offenses is is she incorrect or or perhaps I'm I'm confused
5: No no they are they used to be treated as civil offenses but now, um and then a couple mm-hmm. years ago they started oh. being treated as criminal offenses because it was written in the code that it could go either way Okay um yeah so a legal entry is a misdemeanor um, punishable by up to two years, or if you're lucky, you just get a, um, you know, it's just a civil violation. But illegal reentry is considered a felony, punishable by up to twenty years in federal prison.
2: Wow. Well, um, Cortez and Ms. Trinkle, we need to take a station identification break. And after we come back from the break, I would like to share some information with you as well and ask a question of you. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio. We'll be right back after these messages. <music>
1: are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network for live programming schedules, visit us on the web at BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com
2: Welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. Miss Cortez, you said earlier that the prisons charge as much as $122 a day per person. Am I correct? Yes. Okay, well what you're speaking of is the adult prisons. As an educator, uh, it might uh, be—it's important that you know that there's something very much different between youth incarceration and adult adult incarceration. $127 a day is the minimum amount in Louisiana to incarcerate a youth. Now, the information—excuse me—that I'm sharing here comes from the Justice Policy and it represents uh, fiscal information provided directly from state juvenile correction department's annual uh, reports or legislative documents. When a state or juvenile correctional system provided more than one cost of confinement, the most expensive one is listed. Now, in, as I said, in Louisiana, to incarcerate one child, one youth for one uh, day is $122. It's $46,000 a year. That's the least amount in the United States the most is in New York State where you're at. To incarcerate one child for one year is $352,663. Let me repeat that. To incarcerate one youth for one year in New York State is $352,663. So basically, a 16 year old boy can be walking down the street with no money in his pocket, no job, not really worth a whole lot. But when that cop arrests him, he immediately becomes worth far more than a quarter of a million dollars. That's the incentive that they're using to incarcerate our children and push them into these prisons.
5: That's absolutely disgusting. Um, And that's that's part of what we're um, going towards with the divestment campaign. So the private prison divestment campaign is a national campaign um, started four years ago. Um, And we're now finally at a place where we've built enough momentum with pension divestment, with city divestment, in Portland, Oregon and Seattle and with university divestment across the country like Cecilia was talking about that we're at a place where we can start demanding reinvestment in humanity reinvestment in, um, in our communities reinvestment in communities of color and immigrant communities um, so that we can, you know, take that $352,000 that's going to incarcerate this young man in New York City and put it actually towards, like, his future, towards the future of his community. With divestment, we can follow the money back, see where it's going, see where it's being misdirected, and then demand our institutions, our cities, our universities, our pensions, our, you know, state and federal governments to actually invest um, that money into the success of our communities.
2: Yeah, I know it must have been shocking for you to hear that. That was that your first time being aware of just how much they're charging for our kids in New York. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's really, it's, really—it's mind blowing. Um, for that, for one child, what they we pay to arrest and hold one child for one year, any public school in New York could be completely revamped. <laughs> you know. But uh, I'm glad I could share that information with you, and you could take it back with you to share with others. Uh, Johanan, any questions?
3: Not really. I'm uh, sitting here listening, and, and again, thank you both for uh, for coming on. Jamie, <clears throat> actually, uh, marks uh, is is the second time you've been on the program since I've yep. uh, been on New Abolitionist Radio. Your first visit here was actually one of my first times uh, uh, recording with with uh, Max and Scotty and broadcasting the program. So welcome back and Definitely, uh, thank Amen. you for waking me up, uh, a couple of years ago to, you know, we were discussing at that time the 34,000 bed per day mandate and we were uh, ramping up for, uh, petitioning our Congress to, to strike that down. And we heard support from several elected officials that said they were going to do just that. And we all watched as they went in there and turned tail and voted to maintain it. So this is a, this is a long fight. Uh, thank you for both of you for coming on tonight. Um, if, if anything, um uh, like what max was just saying with the cost that we're looking at um i would like to to say to the listeners that you know the the teachers union New York State Teachers Union is according to the numbers i've seen if correct me if i'm wrong represents over 600,000 uh people just in the state of of New York alone so i mean if we look state to state at the numbers that you gave us earlier in the in the in the program here uh, I believe you said 10 million dollars invested in in CCA mm-hmm. and uh, several million invested in the Geo Group. These just just these two.
6: 7. Um,
3: yes. So if you're looking at that with 600,000 people just in New York State and people extrapolate that over 50 states, just teachers unions over 50 states, you've got an idea of what we're up against and this is something we talk about on the program all the time is this is not just happenstance. Um the thirty four thousand per bed uh bed per day mandate, we were just got the information from from grassroots leadership uh last month that show where they, they uh took about eleven million dollars to petition Congress to maintain that. Um so when the people aren't putting forth investments or you know, putting forth their money where the fight, you know, where their mouth is, where their heart is, where the fight is at to strike these things down. I think you all both have the information that could speak to the listeners to help them understand what we're really up against and what we need to be focusing our financial attention on as well as our passion of our hearts and our being outraged. But when you're fighting against eleven million dollars to maintain a thirty-four bed minimum thirty four thousand daily bed minimum, you know, where do you where do you see us as as the people when we're talking about divesting, where do you see us as the public? What do we have that we're contributing to you know, in these kind of numbers of millions of dollars to bring actual justice, you know, back to our communities.
4: Look, um, I think that we cannot give up. There is a lot of hope up there because we know that already many institutions have uh, divested. For example, in 2012, the Pension Board, the United Methodist Church, the largest pension fund in the U.S. divested all of it from the private prison holdings. Wells Fargo has divested 79% of the GEO, GEO mm-hmm. group. Five universities of California have all divested. And Sacramento Central, the, the, the Central Labor Council have passed divested resolution calling for, uh, corporates and CCA's to, uh, dump the CCA uh, GEO stack. so there is hope people are organizing out there and people are putting pressure to indeed to different organizations to divest and things are going to change because for instance right now the teachers were able to at the uh, nicest convention they were able to pass the um, resolution and divestment now we just have to be moved forward with um com, uh educating the members of the board so that they, they so that they divest the portfolio even though that port even though it's uh, they themselves say that it could be stressful because it all depends on the market but still we have to put the pressure on the board saying you have to divest because we as edu- educators are educating our students and we do not want to see those students ending up in jail that we or money is going to support their demise so mm. I strongly believe that there is hope that we must continue putting the pressure that, that divest becomes the law
2: I think that with the education uh, system with the teachers union uh the United Federations of the Teachers in particular leading the way in this divestment program, maybe we can get other unions to follow suit, like the firemen's union or uh, the police union or all any number of them who also have investments in the same way in the same places where they are conflicts of interest and even if they're not conflicts of interest, it's just not right at all to make prison profitable for anyone. It's just not right at all. So I'm hoping that we can see a landslide of other unions and organizations following your lead on this right here. And for one more- But I just want,
4: I want to tell tell you one more thing that I, I want to clarify something that the New, the New York City Teachers Retirement Fund has no investment in, in the, uh, Correction Corporation of America or to in the GEO group. The New York City does not have. The New York State Retirement Futures mm-hmm. Fund has. So that yes. is very important to, to notice that we as a city, the five boroughs, which is one of our largest, uh, um, unions and the largest retirement, uh, fund, we are not, we are, we have not invested with the prison. It's the state that has invested.
2: That's good Then you're operating From a position Where you You haven't committed This sin But you see it happening In the state you exist in And wish to end it
4: That's right That's right We as a teacher In the United Federation And the teachers Retirement fund Of New York City Have not invested One cent In the GOE group Or in the Correctional Corporations Of America In the New York State Retirement fund Who has done it That is
2: good Um, to hear We
4: are trying that, and we, what we're trying to do is we're trying to the New York State Teacher Retirement Fund divest the seven point one million that it has invested in the Geo in Group and the ten point seven million that have invested in the corporation in the Corruption Corporation of America. So that is the goal. And when they pass the resolution in divestment at uh, the convention in Buffalo. It was a big step to go to move forward to that investment so now we have to continue educating the people so that they will move forward and let's see this process through
2: you know as abolitionists we uh, we, we really like what you're doing but personally we want to take it even further it's our goal to see prison for profit ended in this United States forever There should be no such thing as prison for profit, no policing for profit, no punishment for sale. And we want to uh, show that by striking the exception clause from the 13th Amendment of the United States Constitution, by also abolishing all private prisons in the United States and banning them from this country, including bails, bombings and private probation groups and all the satellite organizations and companies that exist because of these prisons, And furthermore, we want to see the release of 1.5, estimate, million people who are innocent and in prison right now for nonviolent drug-related or debt-related charges. These are the things we want as as abolitionists, and we would hope that sometime in the future, the United Federations of Teachers would endorse the abolitionist movement and become abolitionists as well.
4: We we work towards those goals. We keep working. We never give up. We never surrender. We keep fighting until those changes happen, and we hope that we will leave, get to a point where we get to see those changes.
2: Well, uh, once more, we really appreciate you being here. And if you can, please give us whatever information you can provide where our listeners might be able to help you in your goals or find out more about what you're doing and potentially participate or even divest in their own way. Well, one of the – go ahead.
5: Oh, um, so uh, anyone interested in uh, seeing how their own community is tied into private prisons and how to uh, move forward with divestment um, can go to the NLACE website. It's e n l a c e i n t l dot org. We have lots of resources there and ways for you to contact us.
4: We're happy to help with any uh, divestment efforts. Fantastic.
2: Um,
4: another, I w- know the way to do it is you are a teacher for New York State. Uh, put pressure in the New York State Retirement Teachers Fund to divest because the uh, retirement fund, this, this New York State retirement fund listens to the members and when the requests come from the members, they say, okay, our members want us to do that. We have to listen to them and move forward to make changes. So, if you are a teacher and you are listening, and you work for uh, New York State, write them a letter and tell them that you want to see uh, divestment of the money of the in the teachers' retirement in the New York State teachers' retirement fund.
2: Excellent advice, and I would add: uh, check your own personal investments, uh, particularly if you are dealing with a group called the Vanguard Group, and see if you have money of your own. Uh, invested in prisons And take it out Simple as that Take it out <laughs> Well Thank you again For being a part of this This program here tonight I'm sure our listeners Value your information And we certainly value it And uh, we're very appreciative Of your efforts And we'll continue to support you In any way that we can uh, Know that anytime you need To come on the program Just shoot us a message And we'll bring you back on So we can talk more about this Or whatever else It is that you're doing With Enlace And the United Teachers Federation, thank you again, Scotty. You, honey. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank, thank you, you, you both. Thank you thank very you. much. Thanks. Peace Good night. To you. Good night, everyone. Man, yeah, that makes me happy, Scotty. Yeah, yeah honey. That makes me happy, man. Yeah. Um, when I when
1: I got that um, got that press release from them in, um, through my email, I was like, we got to bring them on. We got to get this news out here because here are people who are who are are convicted by their conscience and instead of sitting on their hands and saying, you know, well, what can I do? You know, I'm just one person, okay? And and they organized and and through, you know, their union, they're pushing for divestment. So it, it's great to see people in action. You know what I'm saying? Right, so so right. I had I, I had to reach out to them and invite them on the program tonight.
3: And I also I also want to uh reiterate again uh, something that is a common theme and you know we're doing the research people we're in this every day so you know whether you hear the program once a week or you know if you listen to the abolitionist daily podcast, and that will be back going here pretty soon but just the point being we're all three of us in the trenches of this every day and there's a common theme When you see people making moves towards striking this thing down, a lot of times there is some element somehow connected of a a faith-based initiative. Um, People are meeting and organizing through churches. Um, I hear a lot of open and, and, and real slick talk about bashing church and faith and oh my god these people are so crazy and they use mental retardation if you believe in some sky daddy and all this type of stuff people talk but they don't offer solutions we don't get to meet at your house we don't get to meet at your community center to work on divestment campaigns we don't have your officials of metaphysical whatever you believe that come together and are looking out for you know 400,000 federal cases packed in our, in our courts People serving years and years and years of time just for crossing the border, so called illegally. You're not doing anything for that. But this, what we just talked to these folks with the teachers union, this was also something that was backed by the uh, Ca- conference of Catholic bishops, the center for migration studies. So this being something that is a faith based initiative to look into this and study this. And they were a big part of pushing this forward to get this divestment. So when you're talking about moving 600,000 people, in the state of New York, in the teachers' union, to divest. And she told you to scale $10 million in CCA. I think it was $7 million in the GEO group. When you can start making these kind of moves to make this kind of money move, because that's what it's going to take, democracy is subservient to economic interest. Whenever you get done, when you move money, that's when you start seeing democracy. Whenever you move money, that's when you start seeing justice. So until you can move that, stop bashing the church, stop bashing people in their faith, get with them and work with them and let's come up with something that works for everybody whether you believe or not
1: right right like not like for example if you have a church or any kind of civic organization and you're taking in dues or you know you're passing around a collection plate make sure that you don't do not deposit that money in a bank or any financial institution that is invested in slavery like Wells Fargo
3: yep exactly but if exactly. they don't
1: know if they don't know then they don't know and that is why it is on us as as new abolitionists to get the information to them so that they then can act on it if they get the information and then don't act then we know what what side of the battlefield line they stand on
2: right yeah yeah they, I, I really enjoyed hearing what they had to say and as i said it makes me happy to know that people out there fighting for this uh as we are just as hard as we are um one of the things that i mentioned earlier to them is maybe this will lead into a cascade effect and other unions will follow suit doing the same thing all right uh, it, it it's only prudent and it's only right for them to do this so now that you know the teachers union do, are doing it what's stopping you uh that's that's one thing and uh i guess the other thing is just saying that i think it's time now as i mentioned to them <clears throat> that we started getting Unions and major organizations to start endorsing the abolitionist movement, to, to start joining en masse right. abolitionist right. movement, not just individuals, but put your whole organization behind it, like you would do with politics. Uh, mm-hmm. And this is so much more important than politics. So, yeah, maybe it's time we start expanding our vision now, because I think there's going to come a point where Organizations or corporations like the GEO Group and CCA and the many, many more private prison profiteers out there, as well as as federal prison profiteers, are going to recognize their own doom and try to find a way to end it in the way they want it to end. And that usually is uh, something in the lines of the reform. 13th amendment right right <laughs> from the very beginning I've always said that's the thing we gotta watch out for all of this is gonna happen we already know this these things are going to unfold but it's gonna come down to that one day that one point where a piece of legislation or paper is gonna be presented and it's gonna be tomfoolery in it Mm-hmm. We have to be wary of that very much, Max. I will just before we move on to our first
1: story that we want to share tonight. I want to want to make a point off a point that you just made about you know whole entire unions, you know, getting involved as abolitionist organizations. You know what I'm saying? But let's also apply that to put political parties. You brought up politics and, and indeed politics affects all of this. I happen to, in my opinion, I believe that under the uh, nine areas of people activity as defined by Neely Fuller Jr. counter racist of uh, that politics pretty much controls everything else you know in in those nine areas are economics education entertainment labor law politics religion sex and war and and i think that politics number one you know sets the stage for all for everything it was politicians that gave us the 13th amendment you know what i'm saying it's politicians who are in the pockets of these prison lobbyist groups Mm -hmm. so if you are a person who, who, who subscribes to the two party system and you calling yourself a democrat or you calling yourself a republican, well, I would like to see a abolitionist platform come forth from either or both of those parties. So again, if you are a, A member of the Democratic Party, you donate money to them to see Democrats get elected or or you give money to Republicans and, you know, start pushing that same issue. Like we just heard, you know, Miss Cortez said, if you're a teacher in New York State, you know, write a letter to the people that control the pension and say we want divestment from the private prison industry. Well, why not do the same thing? You know, if you a member of a political party, and then you don't even have to be a member of a political party. Hell, just write him a letter any doggone way. But, you know, we had, we had the pleasure of having, uh, well, I keep forgetting Rev, Reverend Abaju, oh, how you pronounce his name? Abaju? Ajabu. I'm Ajabu. Yeah, and and he ran he probably was the first person to run for
2: Congress on the abolitionist platform since the eighteen hundreds. He was since eighteen forty nine and John Quincy Adams. He was the first since eighteen forty nine. He
1: didn't win,
2: but he 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 helped
1: get that message out there. And and so I would say it applied to every uh thing, every civic organization, every, you know, uh uh committee, whatever we're part of as abolitionists we're supposed to be pushing that message
2: to them an abolitionist platform was born May 20th 2015 the super PAC was born 6 months later Hmm. (laughs) you imagine the abolitionist platform with a super PAC Uh, there's a lot of freaking loving people out there with money in their pocket and who would invest in something like that so yeah that would be a brilliant idea I think and probably somewhere there's an aspiring politician right now listening to this and saying to himself, you know, that's they're right. We should start that, and I think I'm going to do it right now. Well, I want to move into our first story. You know, we had a potpourri this week, as I said. So many things are happening, so we kind of left it to each other to pick the stories that we want to present today. i got a couple of that I want to share. Should I start with mine first? Sure. Well, the first one comes out. Uh, it's titled Former Top Sheriff's officials indicted in Los Angeles jail scandal. Now this story just struck me as a perfect example of the type of corruption and brutality, deadly brutality that we're dealing with. And uh this says a federal grand jury indicted a former Los Angeles County under sheriff and a retired captain on obstruction and conspiracy charges in a long-running investigation of inmate abuse and corruption, prosecutors said on Thursday. Former under sheriff Paul Tanaka, who was the second highest official in the Sheriff's Department and is currently mayor of the Los Angeles suburb of Gardenia, is acu- now he's a mayor too, is accused alongside a <clears throat> former official of leading efforts to quash a federal probe of corruption and civil rights violations at two downtown jail complexes. Uh, acting U.S. Attorney Stephanie Yanakuru said, Tanaka, who last year ran unsuccessfully for sheriff, surrendered to federal law enforcement on Thursday. (laughs) Officials said the other former official, William Carey, who oversaw internal criminal investigations at the department, also turned himself in. So the guy who does the criminal investigations in this uh, place had to turn himself in, too, because he was also guilty. The allegations in the indictment. Include cover-ups, diversionary tactics, retribution, and a cultural, cultural generally reserved for Hollywood scripts. David Bodwish, an FBI assistant director in charge, said at a news conference. Now, just want to make sure I read this section and the rest, you, you can probably understand what's happening up there. The case follows indictments unsealed in 2013 that accused about 20 current and former sheriff's deputies of subjecting inmates and visitors at two downtown Los Angeles lockups to unjustified beatings or detentions and of trying to cover up wrongdoing several officers were found guilty of conspiring to undermine an FBI probe by trying to prevent contact between federal investigators and an inmate informant After his cover was blown They altered records To make it appear the informant was released from jail And then they rebooked him Under false names The Sheriff's Department is responsible For managing the Los Angeles County jail system Which houses about 20,000 Inmates And is the largest in the nation So this story is basically saying that 20,000 people Are at risk behind what's going on here it got so bad that they took a guy out of the jail and then put him back into jail under false names on more than one occasion to keep him out of the grasp of FBI he's lucky they didn't kill him exactly they're lucky he did he didn't he's lucky he didn't die this is an amazing story and again it shows us right here in one of the the largest in the nation the largest uh jail system in the entire nation How corrupt it is with twenty thousand people subjected to this. Let
1: let, let me ask you a question, Max. (laughs) Where was the
2: good cops at? (laughs) Uh oh. Uh oh. Well, you already know how I feel about that, Scotty Reed. I don't believe that there are any good cops. I don't think wait, hold
3: on, hold on, Max. Hold on, Max. Let me let me cue up this uh this this sound sound clip I got of crickets chirping. All right. So we could play it. So we could play the crickets chirping in the background, and then you could tell us where the good cops were, because that's about what the good cops sound like—is a bunch of damn crickets chirping in the distance. Just that's it. That's all we got. Oh my god! That's twenty thousand cases in LA. We just talked about the FBI with the hair case or whatever. They've opened what two hundred cases, and all of those were dirty. Potentially hundreds of thousands of cases there. We got the Annie Dukin cases up to 190,000 cases of dirty, messed up. I mean,
2: lawlessness of the land, man. Absolute lawlessness. And these are people's lives we're talking about. You know, yeah. uh, if they're this corrupt, then, they I mean, there's no question that you got innocent people in there. You, you think they're going to stop being corrupt when it comes to law? I, I, like, I mean, even if you had a rapist and a murderer in there, I don't think
1: there's a such thing as a justified beating. Under any circumstance, right. under any right. circumstances, you know, we don't sentence people to prison to be raped. We don't sentence and them to prison to be beaten. That's the kind of stuff that go on on slave plantations.
2: And they yep. beat the visitors. They beat right them. and rape the visitors and group <laughs> the visitors and yeah, yeah, Wow, you know, you come in there because your husband or your wife is there because of some debt. That they owed and couldn't pay, maybe it's child support, maybe it's you didn't pay your cable bill. You know how these things work nowadays, or uh, a ticket parking tickets, parking ticket and stuff. Uh, you know and, what? And you I get- just found. I just found
3: out today. Excuse me. I just found out today. I uh, had a chance to uh, have lunch with my dad. Was telling me one of my cousins is locked up. She got a year, and it's over. Moving violations that she wasn't able to pay. They've been after and warrants and back they and forth for in, a year. in and out of court, and she couldn't make it to several court dates. She even lost a couple jobs. I had seen her posting some stuff on Facebook about what she was going through, but I didn't. She didn't get into the technical, you know, what was really going on. And you know, I got a lot of stuff going on. I really didn't ever check with her to find out exactly what was happening. And then I hadn't seen her post for a while, and he told me today, he yeah, hey, you know, I found out your cousin, man. She didn't. She's going to be in there for in a in the but just, I think he says right at a year exactly that they just went on and gave her because she'd have missed so many court dates and got so many fines and stuff and built up, and it sounds so much like what we've been talking about, you know. So I guess when we get to Kansas or Missouri, well, she's in uh, Kansas City, Missouri. So when we get to Missouri, we'll have another, you know. I'll have more details for the Ferguson is America story.
2: Wow, you know, we we've reported on it many times how. It's the catalyst, you know, just these things occur to somebody, an ordinary citizen's life who's barely hanging on, living week to week, just barely paying their rent or their car notes and suddenly they lose a week's pay or their job because they were arrested for some false charge and everything, their whole life is destroyed after that. Not only their life, but generations to come are going to suffer because of that one instance. Nonetheless, we're going to talk more and get into our next story when we come back after this break. On the other side, you're listening to New Abolitionist Radio with Scotty Reed, Max Partus, and Johanna Nalaya. And we'll be right back after this. Ooh.
0: This is Brother Elliot First of Time for an Awakening And you're listening to Black Talk Radio Network New media for the new millennium
2: Welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio uh, Which one of your brothers want to bring the next story in? Scotty, Your Honor?
3: Which one are we going to next? The, uh, the, the study on police. We're kind of yeah, freestyling tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're freestyling it tonight. We all had a collection, so pick one. <laughs> yeah, it's all going to be pretty much the same. Well, I got right in front of me this story from Countercurrent News talking about the police. And again, so people understand, um, you know, when we're on an abolitionist program discussing the abolition of, you know, 13th amendment legal slavery here in the United States of America, um, the connection to the police is of course the police began here as slave catchers quite literally the first patrols were you know the slave catchers going out protecting white landowners property and and the property being the slaves themselves also Uh, going on through the tradition of the 1600s you know we talk about the 1620 is is when the first slaves African slaves supposedly landed at Jonestown uh, uh, South Carolina so I mean as you go on down through the 1600s 1700s, 1800s, all of these laws that have gone on over all these hundreds and hundreds of years, they had to be enforced by who? The police. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just that they put these laws out there and then it just was, well, if you see somebody doing it, I mean, they're guilty. We, no, we have a justice system that's the same one that we have today that was in place in 1630. It was in place in 1670. It was in place in 1710 and 1750, 18, whatever. 2015, that same justice system has the same agents out there collecting revenue and catching slaves. We call them police. So when we talk about police corruption, that's the connection to abolition of modern-day slavery is these damn slave catchers. So slave catchers. we got a story. Yeah. yeah, we got a story from CounterCurrent News uh, that was – Talking about this study that reveals police are Ten times more likely to shoot African Americans Which that in itself again Ties into the uh, information That we got from uh, Naomi Murakawa and Scotty quoted uh, Talked about Angela Chan during the interview With uh, with our ladies from Inlace uh, and from the teachers union Just a few minutes ago you heard him discussing This woman is one of the leading attorneys Asian American Woman that wrote for Huffington Post about how America Hasn't ended slavery In a, you know, thorough article, could not be disproved in any kind of way, pretty much swept under the rug, but she spoke out about it. Well, Naomi Mirakawa, another Asian American woman, a Princeton professor of African studies or what have you, and she goes into depth telling us that there is no police racial profiling. There is no police brutality. Because if you call it police brutality, you call it police racial profiling, you are suggesting that there is some other type of policing. That has ever gone on (laughs) There was never any other policing It was always about brutalizing black folks Uh, Yeah, she got
1: a point there
3: So, I mean, that's a trip When you really start to study this thing And you hear who's speaking out against it I'm going to continue to belabor that point Because I'm looking for Black folks to stand up and say these types of things I'm happy that we have allies In these individuals, whether they came Intending to be abolitionists Whether they came intending to To help the abolitionist cause or whatever, they just spoke the truth and it just so happened to be two Asian women. I'm looking for some of these black uh politicians and black tokens and folks that we got in positions of power, the black middle class and the black bourgeoisie just got all this money to say some of these types of things. But anyway, from this article, it says it's official African American residents are ten times more likely than Caucasians to be shot by police. At least that's what one study found, uh For residents of Chicago, in an analysis of recent data from the City of Chicago Independent Police Review Authority in Black and Latino lower-income neighborhoods, you will see police officers who are instructed to stop and frisk aggressively and aggressively search every day," says uh, civil rights attorney Craig Footerman, as he told the Chicago Reporter, which first crunched all this data. Footerman founded the University of Chicago Civil Rights and Police Accountability Project. And he explains that these are opportunities for conflict to escalate, present themselves, and they often do. So the Chicago reporter's analysis also revealed that while African-American residents are less than a third of Chicago's total population, three quarters of the city's police-involved shooting victims were in fact members of the African-American community in such incidents spanning from 2009 through 2013. So that's one less, less than a third. Of the total population, but over 75% Damn, it's so open basically police-involved shootings.
2: Let me put this in perspective. There's <laughs> 10 people in a room in Chicago. Three yeah. of them are black people, right? Yeah,
3: less than three, two and a half of
2: them. Two and a half. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a multiracial. There's two black okay. folks and a multiracial in that room, right? Now, of the people who get shot by the police, it's going to be two of those three black people.
3: Yeah. Wow. And five other black folks from another room that they bring in there so they can make up <laughs> seven well, out of ten. Well,
2: the three is 75%. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, so,
3: yeah. So, so, I know what you're
2: saying. So basically, so it's, yeah, if there's only okay. three black people in there, they're going to shoot two out of three of them.
3: Yeah. That's, I mean, they're just, oh, there's no way to hide the numbers. The numbers speak for themselves. It's like the Ferguson, the DOJ report. It's like the, it's, it's like we've been telling people for the last year or longer. Look up your state's attorney general. Look up his website. Whoever state you're in, just look up your state's attorney general and Google attorney, state attorney general, whatever state you're in. You know, I'm in Kansas. Kansas state attorney general report on racial profiling. There's quite likely that there is a report that your state attorney general has been supplying for many years. And if you look on that report, he's going to tell you the breakdown of how many people were stopped. What their racial makeup was. What were they stopped for? How many of them got arrested? How many of them had prior warrants? How many of them uh, gave consent to search? How many of them had contraband found on them? All these numbers are available to you. And like we saw in Ferguson, they've stopped all these black folks and didn't even, it wasn't even half the percentage of black folks found with contraband. It was double the number of white folks found with contraband and half the number of arrests of white people though.
1: So if your mission was to actually stop crime, you would be targeting where you would get high-hit contraband. Exactly, but right. since, since, since the exact opposite
2: is true, then you're just racist. It's yeah. as simple as that. You practicing yeah. racism. Since the 70s, they've turned our communities into hunting grounds. Yeah. These police, they come in. Since the 70s? Well, well, since the 70s and the drug war in this way. Okay. Cause they've been hunting us yes. like Johannes said since <laughs> 1600s now. <laughs> in, in this way. Okay. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. So they turn it into hunting grounds. And I, I lived through that in Patterson, New Jersey. And I know other communities that have uh, lived through that. Many, many across America. They're still doing it to this day. Yeah. I lived in a, um, a neighborhood in Detroit, which from the
1: outside, you would think it was a upper middle class. Neighborhood. We were renting at the town, at the time, but it was very beautiful brick homes with manicure, manicure, uh, lawns and whatnot. But you know what, man? We had them jump out boys, man. They roll through the hood and jump out on you.
3: Hmm. Well, the uh, story continues. It says in the midst of a widely reported drop in the Windy City shooting rate and homicide rate, african-americans still account for more than 67 percent of the city's police-involved shootings as early as 2013 for their part though the city of chicago has paid out millions in settlements to the families of police victims over the past few years the taxpayers the citizens paying out the cops ain't paid out a dime
0: please choose a sponsored video
2: your content will begin shortly can you hear that
1: Sorry yeah. about that cause I was trying to <laughs> cue this video up for the next segment Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. I, okay I apologize
3: uh so they paid out millions of dollars and we talk about city to city uh Philadelphia averaging around fourteen million dollars a year Baltimore with the with the two point five million dollar cap on all settlements they've had so many police brutality lawsuits, so many wrongful death lawsuits. That they got a cap on it. You can't even go over $2.5 million. Dallas, 10 to $12 million a year. So here they talk about Chicago where Rakia Boyd, they just recently found, uh, uh, what's his name, Dante Severin, white cop, fired over his shoulder blindly into a crowd, shot her in the head, and killed her, $4.5 million paid out to the family.
1: But he didn't go to jail though, did he?
3: Of course he didn't go to jail. He was afraid for his life, Scotty. You know how these you know how these black people are they they're very dangerous they kill white folks all the time kill white cops all the time every time i look around it's a mob of black folks so i understand I mean that's the narrative that's what they're effectively pushing on us when you see walter scott running for his life getting shot in the back when you see that video just know that that walter scott video represents literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of of police shootings that have occurred in just the last five, six, seven years, where every last one of those people was shot all up in their back. Yeah,
1: just heard about a young cat in Detroit getting shot in the back by, yeah. uh, 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 immigration or
2: ICE agent or yes. something.
1: Yep. Yep. Yep.
3: Yeah. Yep. Ridiculous.
2: And the numbers are just incredible, man. Like the uh, report just came out about the death uh, penalties and people who were killed by, the Justice Department, and apparently even though we only make up 13% of the population, we account for half of more than half of the death penalty executions in 2014.
3: Right. Mm -hmm. Of course we do.
2: Well, looks like we're going to come up to a break. uh, No, not a break. Next story. All right, we're going to go into our next story then. Uh, I posted that one on our new abolitionist page as we do all of our stories, so you can look more into it Yourself, Scotty, I guess that would be you next.
1: Yes, I want to share the story with you about, uh, the, uh, New York City police commissioner Bill Bratton, who is mulling over pardoning 1.2 million low level offenders. Now I chose this one, uh, because on my program, Black Talk Radio News, I had been talking about the power of the executive branch, the power of the CEO of America, also known as President Barack Obama and that he has the power to pardon, to 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 parole, to release uh all of the non uh victimless uh uh people convict I'm sorry, let me back up. All of the people that's in federal prisons convicted of nonviolent victimless crimes, uh, you know, he has the power to pardon them. And so I didn't know that the NYC police commissioner Bill Bratton had that kind of power you know i thought that would be like in the hands of the ceo of new york city or you know something a judge had to do i didn't know that commissioner bill bratton has the authority to pardon up to 1.2 million low level offenders now before i play this video Bill Bratton has said some interesting things over the past few months I don't know if you guys or the listeners remember he was giving a speech to um I think it was a graduating class of cadets it mm-hmm. was either earlier this year or it might have been late last year but he said that when black he was telling them cadets police cadets telling them that when black people look at us they see us as slave catchers I don't know if he... Yeah, he used the word slave catcher.
2: He, he must be listening to... He did, Radio. man. <laughs>
1: hey, man. I, hey, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Man, don't sleep on the fact that you got a lot of people that listen to this program. That's cause, seven countries. Yeah, they're gathering. But I'm to my people in power who are gathering Mm -hmm. intelligence on us you know what i'm saying and and so then he said he told them that you have to realize that every bad thing that has happened to the black community the police was involved and he's telling the truth He's telling the truth. So I would like to get inside his, his mind, cause I doubt if he would be honest with me. You know, if I was able to get him on the show or something and ask him, you know, why are you coming clean with all this honesty? Why are you being so honest about the origins of the police, of the police in this country? Why are you being so honest about every bad thing that happened to us? The police were involved. Cause I'm thinking Pro. I'm thinking drug war. I'm, t- I'm thinking patty rollers. I'm thinking Jim Crow. I'm thinking all of that. Police enforce racism and white supremacy. Okay. They the guardians of the system. And, and so I would like to know, you know, uh, why is he being so honest? You know, did he catch a conscience or something? <laughs> You know, what's going on, uh, man? Somebody gave him some truth serum that day. So here, here's this report, uh, coming to you from the HuffingtonPost.com. Uh, Bratton floats amnesty proposal for minor offenses.
0: Amnesty to more than a million people with open warrants for low level offenses. But some experts worry it could cause crime to skyrocket. Here's CBS2's political reporter, Marsha Kramer.
6: First he called for reduced penalties for smoking marijuana. Now police commissioner William Bratton wants to explore granting amnesty to 1.2 million city residents with open warrants for low level offenses. People who run the risk of being arrested for failing to resolve tickets for drinking in public, disorderly conduct and the like. There's one statistic that shows the magnitude of the problem. Last year, of the hundreds of thousands of tickets that were given out for low-level offenses, fully 40 percent of the people either skipped the proceedings or didn't show up. Several members of the City Council concerned with police-community relations say it's an idea that should be looked at seriously. Council Public Safety Chair Vanessa Gibson favors doing something to eliminate the backlog. Some summons is a decade old, but... I think it's a very
0: delicate conversation where we want to find the right balance um we also want all new yorkers to respect the law we have on the books because laws are meant to be implemented they're meant to be enforced experts like- I'm
1: going to stop it right there
6: cause H rap brown said their laws keep us down. Let's continue. Former police officer John Shane say it's a bad idea that could lead to a spike in crime.
5: You always have to be answerable for your behavior and unchecked behavior we know leads to larger things and those things manifest themselves in violent crime and uh, property crime like auto theft and burglary and things like that. And I absolutely think they need to go through the justice system before we just boot people out and get rid of them for space. I think it's a
6: pretty good idea, as long as uh, it's not a felony. They, they did a crime, right? Don't show. They shouldn't be punished. City Council Speaker Melissa Mark Viverito, who wants reduced penalties for some quality-of-life crimes, says the commissioner's proposal should be looked at as part of you the know, entire debate. I'm Marcia We're Kramer, CBS nothing, 2 News.
1: Okay, you know, very disappointed with the language of some so-called African Americans in that yeah. but you know yeah. they have been so programmed with this law and order crap man you know and then you hear this this, you know so what okay you had a whole bunch of people you cited for less than an ounce of weed so cause you dismissed those warrants cause they didn't show up to court or they didn't pay the fine and you dismissed that oh that means that they're gonna graduate to a grand theft auto see that's, that don't even make sense It don't even make sense, and these people, man. They just let the most stupidest stuff come out of their mouth, but it's because they have an agenda. That former police officer who was speaking there, you know, was, was, he's probably invested in the GO Group or Correction Corporation of America. You know what I'm saying? And, and he's a, he's a retired slave catcher. So of course he's going to be against it. And then you notice he didn't say all of this unchecked criminality by police have gotten worse. You know what I'm saying? Cause it's been unchecked. And these cops keep getting away with murder and it's getting worse and worse and worse every day to the point that, you know, we're experiencing over three people a day killed by cops. So what, what about all of that violence? See, you ain't talking about that. You know no, what I'm saying? About that. And then it, was with, yeah. it, it wasn't it in New York, uh, Ken Thompson who told them cops, stop arresting people for these low level possession charges. We got a backlog. and and what did they say we gonna keep doing doing it anyway you know what I'm saying and then think back and this will be the last thing I share on this story think back to when those pigs up there said oh we gonna show the mayor we're gonna quit doing our jobs you know we're not gonna write tickets for a little petty stuff like that and what did they lose They the city was losing 10 million dollars a week but crime went down Right. Mm -hmm. Crime went down because actually, you know, the reason the crime went down is because was nobody being arrested for nonviolent victimless things that shouldn't even be classified as crimes in the first freaking place. And we got to get out of this mindset, especially as an oppressed people are uh, uh, talking about this law and order. If you did a crime, you must do the time. You know what I'm saying? If, uh, if a person did not harm another individual, did not take property from them, did not intrude upon their happiness, then no crime has been committed. Just because a bunch of white people who get elected to Congress write up laws, you know, going back to the Clintons, going back to Nixon, you know, we can just go back with every president. Just because they say smoking weed is a crime, I mean, you just going to accept that? You just going to accept that? Okay, smoking weeds if smoking weed is a crime, then how come drinking alcohol is not a crime? You know what I'm saying? We just accept stuff because we're told to, like, and we accept it like good little slaves. Ready to go to the plantation. So anyway, and that one dude looked like he was homeless. He better be careful because they criminalizing the homeless as well. Right. So anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
2: Well, all I, valid points brother. I think I know why he's coming out in this way. Um, who, who's and that Bratton? Really, uh, Bratton. And I, the answer really depends on whether or not I can play this clip. Tell me if you hear this. Nah,
1: no, nah. okay. no,
2: no. Uh, what I want to play was the uh, example of systemic racism uh, that we have on video from Huffington Post, where we're showing about how they have 33,000 warrants uh, in this small community of about 1,200 people or so. 33,000 warrants. It's all and, about money. Yes, New York is the same way. And as you pointed out, uh, the strike, so-called strike that the police officers went on, and you remember how that ended? They were commanded to start right. writing these tickets and arresting these nonviolent drug-related criminals again, or these people who were accused of crimes again, because the city was losing ten million dollars a week. That was why yeah. they were
3: sent back. Well, you know, this ties into even how the the program tonight began. It's all going to be about generating revenue. I mean, obviously, we said that from slavery. You know, back in the, the late 1500s, and 1600s or whatever in the, in the colonies and how that, you know, expanded or whatever. But, um, as far as even the immigration side of it, uh, as we were talking with our guests and they, and they mentioned several times, you know, we talked about the 34,000 bed mandate, you know, this uh, congressional order. Well, I uh, was speaking with the people before about how the new ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement Director, uh, Sarah Saldana was, was before uh on Capitol Hill just last month in, in April um speaking with uh uh oversight committee that and the first thing they wanted to talk to her about I mean literally from the time it jumped off the meeting jumped off first thing they start asking her about the Republicans uh lit in on her talking about okay now uh first things first we got a thirty four thousand uh uh man thirty four thousand a day mandate by law and uh, President Obama is continuing to shrink uh, the number of people that are being apprehended uh, as much as 40% since last year so we've got an average now of about 25,000 people in these beds every day and we've got a 34,000 bed mandate so as the new ICE director are you going to do what the President tells you or are you going to do what the law says you're supposed to do and put 34,000 people in these beds and she had to correct them and tell them look The law says a 34,000 bed availability. It doesn't say we have to have 34,000 people in the damn beds. So that should show you right there in a nutshell what's really driving these people, those slaves. If you have a work order, like we found out with uh, Willassie County, Texas, the uh, management and training corporation private prison that's in on this immigration uh, this this immigration uh, det- uh, detention take right now, they had a 2,800 bed facility keeping these immigrants, and they had a contract on the backside, not the federal, the DOJ, the 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 uh, Bureau of Prisons contract was 550 million dollars for the next ten years. On the backside of that, they had a contract with McDonald's, they had a contract with Applebee's, they had a contract with Wendy's to provide. Food processing services to, to create the uniforms for uh, restaurants worldwide to provide all sorts of services and labor as slave labor, as detainees, not American citizens that have been convicted of crimes, as detainees in these immigration detention centers. Mm-hmm. And when they can't fulfill that 34,000 bed per day mandate, they're not providing the workers. It's like a temp staffing agency. You said you was going to send us 50 guys to do hard labor today. We come out to the site today and you got five guys here. What the hell? We're falling behind on our contracts. So hopefully people start seeing the the connections here.
2: Yeah, I'm hoping that they do start seeing the connections because our uh, lives and our freedoms depend on the more people who see these connections. The more people who wake up to what's going on? Uh, yes, yeah, say that again, Mike. Max. Save lives. Wake up, wake up. I mean, why right, the hell do right. you care
1: if somebody, you know, with a minor ticket or whatever for minor possession of weed? Why do you care if they locked up or not? You know, why do you want to see those people in jail and arrested and, and right. put in prison? Why? Why? You know, ask yourself that question. Why?
2: An example would be a U.S. Army veteran. I forget his name. Johanan probably remembers it. Out in Chicago during the winter. Went into a house in the hallway to get warm. And the police came and picked him up because, of course, he's a criminal now, breaking the law. You know, he's trying to get warm. (laughs) Trying to get warm in the hawk of Chicago. uh,
3: Yeah, Jerome Myrtle. That was, was, uh, I think that was New Jersey. Or no... That was New York Because he went to Rikers Remember
2: they baked him In a cell Yes Well, Okay well Rikers uh, I thought it was Mm -hmm. Chicago But nonetheless Rikers Yeah they picked him up And took him And baked him alive In a cell Where the heat Went upwards to 110 degrees And just left him there To die So this is what Mm -hmm. you want For people to happen it happened to the people that you love and care about See, a good it because it doesn't happen to your people or it's not happening to your family that it doesn't matter. See if it had been
1: your family member that you didn't know was homeless or something and then you heard about them on the news you'd be
3: saying well why didn't a good cop just take him to a homeless shelter instead of Rikers? Right. Because right. that's what they'd never do. Except for when it's a photo op When it's a, when it's a uh, evening news at six, uh, evening uh, news uh, story to to a feel good story where they show the cop out in the street playing catch with the kids. When they show, you know, these crazy one off anomaly stories of how there's so many good cops. That's not being a good cop. Just because you stop and, and, and play catch with the kids and basically do some off the books interrogation. Of the children mm-hmm. Is what you're really doing mm-hmm. That's what you're really doing With your slick ass And you ain't fooling nobody mm-hmm. You sit up here Interrogating these kids And getting close to them So you can get the information You want to find out. Hey uh, don't you have a big brother Oh yeah yeah You guys are just Standing right down there And next thing you know You've been kicked in This damn house After you was playing They don't show that video Mm-hmm. When you're really doing your dirt, or if you're not the one doing the dirt and shooting people, beating people, raping people, planting drugs on people, planting throwaway guns on people, if you're not doing that, your mouth is zipper-shut tight closed
2: when your homie is doing it. Mm -mm -mm. I I would think that injustice within the police force, corruption within the police force anywhere in America would be an offense to every so-called good cop anywhere In America I can't imagine him going well my department's clean My station is clean When a station away from you Or a state or a city away from you There's this huge problem going on If you can separate yourself From the larger whole Then you seem to be able to try to claim innocence And you're not innocent This is all part of one group Called the United States Police Forces
3: Mm -hmm. Slave catchers
2: Yep
3: Law enforcement in a place where the laws, I mean, America has a serious situation where we're talking about taking the 13th Amendment and removing that exception. If not taking the 13th Amendment out completely, mm-hmm. we're talking about adjusting this thing to where it does not allow for legal modern day slavery. When you say that slavery is abolished except when a person can be convicted of a crime, then you're saying slavery is still enforced. Okay. America not only has that issue but America has an issue with those hundreds and hundreds of racist. See, that's the thing you got to understand. America didn't strike that stuff from the books. You can go look right now on your state laws. You can go look on the various regions and state laws still to this day those things are still on the books where it says blacks cannot congregate in groups of more than 3 without mm-hmm. a white person present. They
1: call it, it loitering.
3: Yeah, if you look around, it's pretty much still being enforced right now, ain't it?
1: Yeah, in in certain areas, certainly like yes. you know, that that's why that's why Freddie Gray's dead. See, he, exactly. two black people was congregating on the street, you know, and, and Freddie and they, they locked eyes with a known slave catcher who who you know, he he knew he was about to get it so he took off running because he know this guy's reputation and whatnot and he knew he had the little pocket knife and he didn't know if it was legal or not he just had a little pocket knife and he oh this man gone i know he gonna stop me and frisk me always stopping and frisking everybody i don't feel like going to jail today so i'm 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 running and and they chased him down and broke his and, and severed his spine so yeah
3: yep so as long as those laws are still on the books I mean, you talk about taking something and and burning it. I mean, these it needs to be stripped down, the entire book of the laws. If you really are serious about you not enforcing that, see, what you're not going to do is have me in a relationship with you where you you have all these laws and all these rules and you say what I can't do and I got to abide by it or you get to lock me up or you get to beat me or you get to torture me some kind of way. I'm just saying one on one. I, I take a job somewhere where they say if you're late to work. We get to break your ankles. Well, we stopped doing that. We're not going to do that no more. We just, you know, you get five chances to be late, then we're going to give you, we're going to write you up. But if you never took off that old rule where you was breaking ankles, you think I feel good going to work thinking that this is what you might do? Because it's still there. Those laws are still there. The uh, anti-misogyny laws, the the, uh, blacks got to pay a tax so whites can vote laws. If you really look at these laws, and you really look at gentrification and gerrymandering and redistricting to a large extent. Those things are still being enforced just in more creative and, 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 and sneaky little ways. When you look at states like Florida, okay, go back to the 2000 election when they had the hanging chairs and all that. When they showed 200,000 people of color, black folks. Whose votes wasn't even counted for in that state election that hinged on who was going to be president? That was a basic modern enforcement of that old 1600s law that said black folks got to pay a tax so white folks can vote, but they still didn't have the right to vote. So when you, when you disenfranchise millions of black folks with these felonies. So, you can't never vote, but these people out here paying taxes, you're still enforcing those old laws. Mm. That's why those laws are not off the books. And when you talk about law, you got law enforcement. Who enforces the laws? The cops. Mm. I'm, I guess I get in my red before the final statement since I get cut <laughs> well, off every <laughs>
2: We're going to close on that point right there and take a station identification break. When we come back, we're going to zoom through a couple of stories and go right into our uh, Ferguson is America series. After that, you're listening to New Abolitionist Radio. We'll be right back after these messages. Brothers and sisters, no children! Brothers and sisters, I don't know what this world is coming to. <laughs>
1: Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to blacktalkradionetwork.com. Helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black talk.
2: Welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio right here on blacktalkradionetwork.com. I'm Max Parthus. I'm here with my co-hosts, Johanna Nelaya and Scotty Reed, and we're talking about modern-day slavery and human trafficking as new abolitionists. A couple of quick stories I want to uh, go through, and I did say I would speed through them, is if you remember, we reported uh not too long ago about six police officers out in Philadelphia who were charged with conspiracy, racketeering, uh kidnapping, all sorts of corrupt uh, activities where they were going out into the community and robbing the drug dealers, holding them at gunpoint, taking the drugs and reselling it, extorting uh, money from them and things like that. Well, they all recently just got off. And the reasoning that was given by the defense attorney and which the judge echoed was basically because drug dealers can't be believed, but corrupt, corrupt cops can be. So they had twenty drug dealers is what they called them. And one former police, uh, corrupt police who testified against these six officers and none of them could be believed. First story is posted on new abolitionist radio, as well as the second one, which is in regards to what's going out in Decatur County, where there's a prison that's about to ship off a hundred inmates and they're going to lay off 10 guards. I just want to read one quote from the story. You can check the rest on New Abolitionist Radio. It says, "The main reason, uh, the main reason Warden McCoy plans to return 90 to 100 inmates being housed by the state of Georgia is because, according to the warden, the prison actually loses money every day to house those inmates." McCoy said it's estimated it costs the prison $33 a day per inmate. The state of Georgia only reimburses Decatur County a rate of $20 a day per inmate. Therefore, as the warden explained to county commissioners, Decatur County is losing $13 per day for every state inmate it keeps. There is no state reimbursement for local inmates. The Decatur County Sheriff's Office shoulders some of that cost of his budget. And he says... Sending away 100 inmates could result in a cost-saving of 475000 although that would also mean a reduction in revenue from the state reimburse, reimbursements. Warden McCoy also pointed out that he expects to reduce his overall annual cost to feed and clothe inmates since there will be fewer of them. My goal is to put every inmate we house on a work detail every day, with the exception of laundry and kitchen staff, Warden McCoy said. And there you have it. That story is our new Abolitionist Radio. Again, an example of how people are being spoke of, human beings, as products on a shelf that don't sell well. And they need more money for them. And things like that. It's just absolutely ridiculous. Um, we're going to move into our segment called America is Ferguson. And this week, we focus on the Sunshine State. You know, uh It's amazing. We keep getting these states, and we're only up to the S that are just outrageous. And Florida is one of those outrageous states. I'd like to start with uh, asking you, Johanan, since you know you've reported a lot on Florida. Uh, any of the stories that you found regarding Florida, and just how criminal they are, and exploited <laughs> they are. Man,
3: Florida people talk about california is gonna have an earthquake and break off from the continent (laughs) people talk about you know disaster should befall you know this state or texas can secede and go you know you you hear like uh little jokes a little thing said about florida is a state that for my money for the corruption for the evil for the just wrong that they do to my people man For what they got going on, Florida could just get blown right off the map for all I care. Everybody that I love, everybody that's doing right, that don't deserve to die, of course, please leave. And then let these snakes just all all go. You got nearly 3,600 people died in custody in the Florida Department of Corrections in the last 12 to 15 years. That should be enough for the segment. We done. I mean, damn, 3,600 people? Hmm. You had two hundred and fifty people died in custody in Florida prisons just last year. You've got the you've got the par broiling of Darren Rainey in two thousand and twelve and the medical examiner still has not to this day submitted a cause of death report so they can continue the so called investigation of how this man was boiled until he died. You have so many hundreds and hundreds of people dying in custody in the Florida Department of Corrections every year that they actually created a Florida Department of Corrections website for inmate to log the inmate mortality. So you can go back through a Florida Department of Corrections website with a search engine and click on the name, click on the death, click on the inmate number, click on the date, and read your own little forensic files report of how all these people are dying. So if you just look at the prison aspect of it, Florida needs to go.
2: Well, I guess that's pretty clear right there, end of segment. (laughs) I mean, damn. (laughs) Well, I did find some information as well. Uh, You know, I was talking about a, a lot of the things that we speak about here on New Abolitionist Radio, Come from Florida The stories, the guests that we bring in uh, We talk about what's going on in Florida And just how bad it is Well, let's talk about statistics in Florida And here's some of the information I found This is a, from 1988 to 2008 Incarceration trends in Florida Florida is a leader among states In its use of imprisonment As of 2008, there were 98,000 192 people held in Florida State prisons, placing the state Third in the nation In its incarcerated population Trailing only California and Texas In addition to a high number Of people incarcerated, Florida also Incarcerates its citizens at a High rate. The state's Rate of incarceration of 557 People per 100,000 Population is 25% Higher than the national average for states of 445 per 100,000. Florida has experienced a dramatic increase in the number of persons in prisons over the last two decades. Since 1988, the total number of persons in prison in Florida has nearly tripled, growing from 33,681 to 98,192, a 192% increase. This exceeds the national rate of growth of 133% during the same period. The rise in incarceration in Florida has been particularly significant in recent years. Between 2000 and 2007, Florida had the fourth highest rate of growth in the country, increasing at an annual rate of 4.7%, considerably higher than the average among the states of 1.7%. As the number of people in prison in Florida has grown, a substantial proportion of that growth has consisted of nonviolent drug and property offenders who now comprise 50% of the prison population. These include 20% of the total prison population whose primary offense was a drug crime. The expenditure associated with just drug and nonviolent property law violators cost over $979 million in the year 2007. The use of imprisonment in Florida has been felt disproportionately in communities of color. African Americans comprise 15.3% of the state's population, but 49.8% of persons in prison. Conversely, whites, who comprise 76.7% of the state's population, represent 46.4% of the prison population. And more on recent uh, news, on December 31st, 2014, the Florida Department of Corrections housed 100,873. So we see here, from the last report, an increase of almost 10,000 prisoners in its 56 56 state prisons, including seven private prisons, and supervised almost 142,159 active offenders on community supervision at over 150 probation offices throughout the state. The department employs, and this number blew me away, mind you, because here in South Carolina, I thought we were bad. We have 7,000 people directly employed by the prison systems, and it's our number one industry. But in Florida, they employ approximately 20,965 employees, the majority of whom are correctional officers or correctional probation officers, which come up to 17,064. Tell me again
1: how slavery ain't one of the pillars of the economy in the United States.
2: Florida's recidivism rate has dropped to 26.3% based on 2009 inmate releases. That means about one of every four inmates released from a Florida prison returns to prison in Florida within three years. But this doesn't include the number of inmates returned to county jails. Federal prisons or prisons In other states Prison inmates work In jobs ranging from laundry Cooking and prison maintenance To prison industries And Outside work squads. Community work squad inmates perform services under agreements with the Department of Transportation, other state agencies such as the Division of Forestry, Counties, Cities, Municipalities, and nonprofit organizations. In fiscal year 2013 through 14, the Department of Corrections Community Work Squad inmates performed almost five point four million hours of work in our communities valued at more than 76 million dollars and at the cost provide the citizens of Florida with a net cost savings value added of approximately 45 million from June, July 21st, uh, 2013 through June 30th, 2014, 32,442 inmates were admitted to prison, and 32,921 inmates were released. See that revolving door of faces? 32,000 go in, 32,000 come out. During that same period, 86,369 offenders were admitted to community supervision, and 87,000 were released from supervision. It's like the numbers just going back and forth. It's just an assembly line, a product plant. Inmates in Florida's prisons on December 31st, 2014 ranged in age from 15, 15 to 93 years old. Of the 100,873 inmates in Florida prisons on December 31st, 2014, 92.9% were male. And 7.1% were female. There's some information on Florida. Florida is Ferguson and beyond. You can find these links and more that I have collected at our Move to Abolish 21st Century Slavery, or 21st Century Slavery and Human Trafficking Group on Facebook. Please take a, the time to look and add some if you found some. Brothers, any, uh, any words on those? no
1: I don't, I don't have anything to add but uh don't yeah don't f- vote for don't uh vote for marco Rubio oh my <laughs> oh, God or man. Bush you know, and, and, and Bush that's just kind of
2: hand in hand you we've been reporting on these people who are having you know their finances paid for uh their political finances paid for by prisons, and then we tell you mm-hmm. that there's twenty thousand people employed by the prisons, and most of them are nothing but Correctional officers and probation officers. This is exploitation on a level that is just, oh, it's, it's treatment. slavery,
1: man. It's slavery yeah. again. Yeah. You know, that's their ideal of job creation. Job create. Yeah. We'll give you a job by locking up somebody else, taking away somebody else's freedom. Not, you know, don't even, don't even worry about whether they deserve to be here or not. Uh, you want a job, don't you? All
2: right. Yeah. Yep. I would. Sh- say that. I mean it,
3: it it goes right. back to like the story of uh, the uh, the brother was named Eric uh yeah, in Oklahoma where the the 70-year-old dude paid to be on the deputy's thing and killed him or whatever. Um it's a similar scenario because they create crime to justify their jobs of so-called stopping crime. I mean they set that brother up by sending a police snitch to befriend him and get high with him. And over whatever time that he was getting high with that guy, the guy kept hitting him for, you know, can you get can you get some drugs too? Because, I mean, I got you high. Like, can you get us high? Can, can you, you provide give me some gun? drugs? They get high. right. And then after getting high a couple times, he starts, saying, hey, man, I got a friend who needs a gun. You know anybody can get a gun? Can you help us? And I'm sure the guy wasn't exactly excited the first couple times, but he keeps hitting him up. Can you give me a gun? Can you? He gets a gun. Now you see him on the videotape in the truck running for his life, and then here comes old. I want to go on an American nigger safari comes in and kills him. So I'm just saying these cases this is this is what's driving the 2.5 million people in the prison system. You're creating crime. I've been hit up like that before with people I used to work with a dude long time ago back in the early 90s I worked at the post office. I used to work with this kid. Then his brother was was a druggie or whatever. And so I don't know why they got to focus on the black guy, but he sure enough is through his brother he sends me word that do I know where he can get some weed? I'm like what? Like I don't even know this dude. You know where would you ask me that? So he continued over time, over months. He would you know just ask here and there. You know, hey man, uh my brother was asking me again. You know, if you know anybody that. Well, actually, he don't even really want weed no more. He he was actually wondering if you could uh if you knew somebody could get him some crack. But I'm like, what kind of? I mean, I was what like, 19 or some at the time, 20, but I could see this is obviously. Something ain't right here. And I work with this guy every single day. And this is what his brother is going. I don't even know his brother. Just through somebody else telling me, can you get me some drugs? This is what we got going on, man. This is, you're creating crime. You're creating situations. And when you look at Florida, they almost went forward with a total private prison privatization program like four years ago in that state. And you know why they stopped it? It wasn't because the people rose up and said the hell no you're not going to privatize our prisons and people didn't give a damn the reason they didn't privatize every prison in the state of florida was because the state department of corrections corrections officers are a part of the bureau of police union and the brotherhood of the blue rose up and said the hell you say you're not taking our jobs we're going to keep those jobs. We represent these brothers down here in the state, and we're going to protect our jobs. So they stopped the privatization plan, and that's how they kept the state jobs and kept it from being privatized. So, people, we are in a fight. Well, we've told you about the immigration problem. We told you about $10 million from to CCA, $7 million to Geo Group, just from one New York State union. <laughs> that represents 600,000 people. So extrapolate that over 50 states. We've told you about how the immigration laws and how they got 34,000 bed per day mandate and all your congressmen are meeting with the Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, the new director, the first week she's even in the job and demanding of her, look, where do you stand? Are you with this president who hired you? Are you going to keep on letting these beds be unfilled? Or are you going to do what we want you to do and, and put 34,000 people in these beds so we can, make, we can guarantee these labor contracts every day? This is what you're dealing with. The state itself, almost Florida, almost privatized every prison in the state, and you wouldn't have known a word about it. You wouldn't have had a say-so in it. There was nothing you were going to do to stop it, but the Bureau of Police protected those jobs. We're not just fighting the 13th Amendment. We're fighting people's ways of
2: life. Yeah. They don't want to lose their jobs, that's for sure.
3: That's amazing Alright I, I guess we need to move on We're getting late in the hour I'm sorry y'all.
2: <laughs> We could talk about this 24 hours a day 7 days a week And it would still be not enough time It's right. just that bad And the stat embedded in our in our system Is systemic And it's time for you to wake up We're going to move on to our next segment uh, Which is our rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad And uh, I'm pulling him up right now uh, Brother Johanna would you like to cover him or
3: I can do That's- that sir I'm also uh, struggling to get his link Pulled up here I had it up You know we try to close down the links During the yeah. program to, For the sound quality
2: Well just to let people know What we're doing here Is every week we want to uh, show you How this justice system Is far from infallible And how many people are being released And were their lives were destroyed In the most inhumane ways By what we are told to trust This system of enslavement and this is kind of a sad story, but it is bittersweet to know that these people, uh, th- that he in particular, got his freedom, at least at some point. Uh, his name is Philip Bivens. Did you get it pulled up yet, your honor?
3: No, I'm still. I got I'm it. I got stuck. it. Okay. Scotty got it. Thank you, man. Thanks for yeah, saying it. because I'm stuck. Alright,
1: uh, Philip Bivens, along with two co-defendants, Bobby Ray Dixon and Larry Ruffin, were wrongfully convicted in Forest County, Mississippi in the 1980, in 1980 of rape and murder. He confessed to the crime and then pled guilty to avoid the death penalty tragically the only witness to the murder was the victim's four-year-old son luke who consistently described one man in his house who raped and killed his mother mr ruffin had been arrested weeks after the crime and had signed a confession after a night of interrogation by a series of investigators and i'm sure they probably was busting them in the head with phone books and all kind of stuff I'm, i'm telling you he did not just willingly uh confess to this anyway um it says that um series of investigators he quickly withdrew his confession and as the time for his trial drew near in 1980 investigators went looking for evidence to bolster their case against him They, I mean, damn, ain't you supposed to get the evidence first anyway. They found two acquaintances of Larry Ruffin, one who was Philip Bivens, who lived in California at the time. They flew to California and brought Mr. Bivens back to Mississippi, where he was threatened with the death penalty. He eventually gave a confession that he had committed the crime with Bobby Ray Dixon and Larry Ruffin. Remember, the child said it was only one person. Uh, Bobby Ray Dixon gave a similar confession around the same time. All of the confessions were inconsistent with each other and factually inaccurate. Mm-hmm. Mr. Bivens, because they were lying, that's why. Uh Mr. Bivens and Mr. Dixon pled guilty within a few days of their confessions and Mr. Ruffin was convicted at, at that trial, at trial some weeks later with both Mr. Bivens and Mr. Dixon testifying that they helped commit the crime with Larry Ruffin. All three were sentenced to life in prison. Man being forced to lie on somebody else you know that man mr Bivens recanted his testimony less than a month after the trial in a sworn affidavit sent to the court with the consent of the forest county district attorney ipno and voluntary volunteer co-counsel rob mcduff obtained dna testing in 2010 on the evidence from the crime scene The DNA profile from the semen left by her killer was run through the FBI's CODIS database. It did not match any of the three men convicted. It matched another unrelated man who had been convicted of raping another woman in her home in the same county two years later. So, you know, put that on those cops and prosecutors who coerced these people to to confess to a crime that they did not commit and, and while they knew of the real rapists was out there raping. All right. Immediately IPNO and Mr. McDuff asked for Mr. Bivens and Mr. Dixon's convictions to be thrown out. Mr. Ruffin had died in prison in 22, in 2002. In September 2010, almost exactly 30 years after their arrest, Forest County Circuit Judge Bob Helfrick Throughout the convictions of Mr. Bivens and Mr. Dixon before a packed courtroom in Hattiesburg, Mississippi the two men were released on their own reconnaissance the case was fully resolved in in december 2010 when the forest county grand jury met and indicted the man whose dna was found at the scene for capital murder the same court formally exonerated mr ruffin of the crime in february 2011 remember he's already dead though Uh, he was the second person in the united states to be exonerated posthumously Thanks to DNA testing. A lot of damn good it did them, though. Uh, Mr. Bivens passed away on August 25th, 2014. He was an avid gardener, loved fish and mentored the neighborhood children. So, um, yeah, salute to brother Bivens. Sorry the other brother died in prison, but again, man, this is criminality, man. How do you sleep at night knowing that you setting up innocent people? You know they lying. You know them people didn't do that. And, and you are responsible for the second woman getting raped, in my opinion. It, it, it's just sickening, man. And like, like you said, man, there, how many hundreds do we see get released, you know, from prison due to wrongful convictions? And a lot of times the state, uh, fights people from even doing DNA testing, you know, to right, resolve, to right. resolve their cases. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> Philip Bivens,
2: uh, writer of the 21st century underground railroad. Big shout-out to the Innocence salute. Project again. Salute. Indeed, man. And this goes back to that what we heard from uh, the clip you played where you said, if you did the crime, do the time. Mm-hmm. These people never did any crimes. They were framed. Exactly. They, n- they never did anything wrong, but here they were, and the proof is in the pudding. There's our 21st century writer of the Underground Railroad. Our next and uh, almost our final segment, which actually is our final segment, Is our 21st century Well actually is our Abolitionist in profile And we got something special for you this time It's a repeat but it deserves To be repeated Our abolitionist in profile Is Araminta Minty Ross 1822 March 10th 1913 Harriet Tubman became famous as a conductor on the Underground Railroad during the turbulent 1850s. Born a slave of Maryland's eastern shore, she endured the harsh existence of a field hand, including brutal beatings. In 1849, she fled slavery, leaving her husband and family behind in order to escape. Despite a bounty on her head, she returned to the South as 19 times to lead her family and hundreds of other slaves to freedom via the Underground Railroad. Tubman also served as a scout, spy, and nurse during the Civil War. In 1849, Tubman fled Maryland, leaving behind her free husband of five years, John Tubman, and her parents, sisters, and brothers. My people must go free. Her constant refrain suggested determination uncommon among even the most militant slaves. She returned to the South At least 19 times To lead her family and hundreds of the slaves To freedom via the Underground Railroad Utilizing her native intelligence And drawing on her boundless courage She eluded bounty hunters A.K.A. the police Seeking a reward for her capture Which eventually went as high As $40,000 She never lost a fugitive Or allowed one to turn back Two things sustained her The pistol at her side And her faith in God She would not hesitate to use the pistol in self-defense, but it was also a symbol to instruct slaves, making it clear that dead Negroes tell no tales. Timid slaves seemed to find courage in her presence. No one ever betrayed her. She affirmed her faith in God and her statement, I always told God, I'm gonna hold steady on to you and you got to see me through. Tubman collaborated with John Brown in 1858 in planning his raid on Harper's Ferry. The two met in Canada, where she told him all she knew of the Underground Railroad in the East, advising him on the area in which he planned to operate. She promised to deliver aid from fugitives in the region. Brown's admiration for her was immeasurable, and he wanted her to accompany him on the raid. Tubman planned to be present, but was ill at the time and could not participate. Tubman's resistance to slavery did not end with the outbreak of the Civil War. Her services as nurse, scout and spy were solicited by the United uh, by the Union government. For more than 3 years she nursed the sick and wounded in Florida And the Carolinas tending whites and blacks, soldiers and contrabands. Tubman was a short woman with a distinct, without distinctive features. With a bandana on her head and several front teeth missing, she moved unnoticed through rebel territory. This made her invaluable as a scout and spy under the command of Colonel James Montgomery of the second Carolina volunteers. As leader of a corps of local blacks, she made several forays into rebel territory collecting information, armed with knowledge of the location of cotton warehouses, ammunition depots, and slaves waiting to be liberated. Colonel Montgomery made several raids in southern coastal areas. Tubman led the way on his celebrated expedition up the uh, Combahee River in June 1863. For all her work, Tubman was paid only $200 over a three-year period and had to support herself by selling pies, gingerbread, and root beer. After the war, Tubman returned to Auburn, New York, and continued to help blacks forge new lives and freedom. She cared for her parents and other needy relatives, turning her residence into the home for indigent and aged Negroes. Lack of money continued to be a pressing problem, and she financed the home by selling copies of her biography and giving speeches. Her most memorable appearance was at the organizing meeting of the National Association of Colored Women in 1896 in Washington, D.C. Two generations came together to celebrate the strength of black women and to continue their struggle for a life of dignity and respect. Harriet Tubman, the oldest member present, was the embodiment of their strength and their struggle. And we here at New Abolitionist Radio Salute you, Sister Harriet Tubman Salute Salute Salute. Salute.
3: Keep her face off that $20 bill You bastards
2: (laughs) Well, it's a done deal as far as I know But that was one of the reasons why we brought this back So you can understand Who they're about to make As the face of capitalism Harriet Tubman My soul wants to cry The first time I imagined George Zoli tipping somebody with a $20 bill. Hmm. That's kind of messed up, man.
1: man. Yeah, that's that's like real twisted. (laughs) Just the
2: thought of that, man. Oh, Lord. Well, there you have it. This has been New Abolitionist Radio. Uh, We've given you everything we got. As we do every week, we try to inspire you to want to make change and to wake up. Wake up. And we give you everything we got, as we said. And today you got a lot of powerful information, including our guests. Uh, much thanks to them for being here today to share their information and what they're doing to fight this modern age slavery. Uh, we're coming on the end of our program where we give our final statements for the evening, something for you to remember and to uh, maybe apply or think about and come back next week. Please come back next week and bring people with you. And we invite you to call in, you know, uh, we talk a lot and I know you like listening to us, but we want to hear you too. Uh, which one of you brothers would like to close out our evening? Um, we let me go close first out this week because my okay, sound is starting ahead. to
3: mess up and I know how they do me on this show. So I can hear you already doing be- it. Can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead. I can hear you. Yes. Oh, okay. Let me, let me just uh, be brief again. Um, if you, uh, are in, the Kansas City area or is something that you you know you can you can you can make happen somehow to, to get to Kansas City um, I would encourage folks to come out to the uh, to the Ida B Wells coalition to the conference that'll be kicking off like I said tomorrow evening will be uh, one of the first meetings and that's where I'm actually going to be uh, speaking I, I don't I can't make it to all of the events throughout the weekend um but i will be thursday and friday able to go to uh to speak at the the opening events and i mean my message is going to be the same as what you hear me talk about right here uh every week you know we're living in a situation of modern day slavery so as these people are talking about all of this you know freedom and justice and and uh, uh talking about uh Reparations and black autonomy and all these great ideas—it's going to be the same message as what we shared here on the program. To start the program, in slavery first, then free the slaves, then let's get reparations for the drug crime, for the drug war, for the uh, the war on crime. Once we get the reparations, then we can work towards black autonomy. Other than that, um, the address is thirty-five hundred four Woodland Avenue, Kansas City, Missouri. It's uh, at a place called the colimbo Center. Uh, So we'll be meeting there starting at 5.30 until 8 p.m. Thursday and Friday evening. So definitely, if you're in Kansas City area, please come out and see. I believe there's also going to be a live stream. So when I find the link to that, I will put it on the new Abolitionist radio page. Um, Other than that, peace to the abolitionists and death to the oppressors.
1: Most definitely. Most definitely. Um, again, I, too, would like to um, uh thank our guests who came on to talk about a very important issue. Teacher unions divesting from the school to prison pipeline. I mean, come on, man. That's almost like an oxymoron when, you know, uh teachers are pensions are invested in prisons. I mean, that, that's that's something that should not be. But, uh, there's a lot of things that should not be. And at least in the state of New York, that particular teachers union is moving in the right direction. And that is divestment from 21st century slavery and human trafficking. And we hope that, you know, other teachers unions throughout the nation will hear about the action that they are taking and, and will follow suit and follow suit. So, you know, all of you people who are tuned in right now, um, you know if we have convinced you to become part of this new abolitionist movement and you consider yourself an abolitionist because you know that slavery was not abolished, it needs to be abolished. And and you know, you wanna be on board with that, playing whatever role you can play. Uh there's no role too big, no role too small. Um, uh, but it, you can start with any civic organizations you belong to, any mosques that you belong to, any churches you belong to, and get them to divest their money, make sure that it isn't invested in number one, private prison slavery uh companies and then number two in, in, in banks like Wells Fargo, cause Wells Fargo is the second largest investor in the second largest private prison enslaver slavery, which is the Geo Group. So those are just little things that you could do to start you off going in the right direction. And you know, uh, we like, we, we haven't said it in a while, but we believe in death by a thousand paper cuts. We okay. would like yep. for slavery to end tomorrow. I'm willing to pick up arms to do that, uh but um, in lieu of the revolution kicking off to end slavery, then, you know, whatever means by whatever other means necessary that we can employ, we should employ, leave no tool unused, okay, pull out the whole war chest. All right, so again I want to thank I want to thank uh uh our guests for coming on, uh Sister Jamie and uh Sister Cecilia and great uh, keep up the great work and again anything we can do to assist, please let us know.
2: Amen. I just want I'm going to keep mine short. Uh you know, I firmly believe that the answer to a lot of this is simply changing your mind. But also you have to sometimes prevent the flow of misinformation. So this is a message that I want to give to the students across the United States of America. As a student, if you hear an educator tell you about slavery ending in 1865, you make sure you dispute their blind recitations openly for all to hear. Just make it simple. Say... If slavery was truly abolished in 1865, then please explain the exception clause of the 13th Amendment to us. Tell them, as far as I understand it, abolition means end it forever and doesn't have a caveat attached. And if you're really feeling froggy as a student, you can tell them that you know, like we know, that abolition is a reason for a revolution. So we can finally know peace. Peace.
0: The police, the same way, they put this club upside your head, and then turn around and accuse you of attacking them. Every case of police brutality against a Negro follows the same pattern. They attack you. Bust you all upside your mouth And then take you to court and charge you with assault What kind of democracy is that? What kind of uh, freedom is that? What kind of social or political system is it When a black man has no voice in court Has no, nothing on his side other than what the white man chooses to give My <laughs> brothers and sisters, we have to put a stop to this And it will never be stopped Until we stop it ourselves. They attack the victim. And then the criminal who attacked the victim accuses the victim of attacking him. This is American justice. This is American democracy.